Welcome to podcast number eight of Base Talk with Hagen and Hayes. Today's topic is transcriptions. So, Susan Hagen, good afternoon. Good afternoon, David Hayes. And how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. So, tell me all about transcriptions. <laughs> all about transcriptions. You know, I think transcriptions are really important, especially for double bass players, because I think it really pushes our technique, it pushes our musicality. We can't just sit back on our laurels and, and think, you know, I can play the Capuzzi Concerto every day for the rest of my life. Not that there's anything wrong with that piece, but it's really nice to be able to strive for beautiful tone and musicality. And, you know, when I was a kid, <laughs> back in the day, my teachers used to give me the nice, simple, little easy Bach pieces, you know, pre cello suite type level of playing. And I thought, wow, this is so great. And I didn't initially realize that it wasn't originally written for double bass. But even the, the little pieces being transcribed really helped my technique. And it helped me think about phrasing. And, you know, it didn't just sound like you know, that stereotypical, horrible, thing that people expect to come out of a bass when they don't know how great our instrument is. And I, I really think that they these transcriptions are tools. And so many people have transcribed, we, we were talking earlier, mm. Elgar, Dvorak, cello concertos, um, Gary Carr with all these arias and, and lots of different pieces, being able to imitate the human voice with our instrument. Now that is a delight. What do you think? How do you feel about transcriptions? I have to say I like them. And I, I think they've really pushed the base so far. And I, and I think we're where we are because of transcriptions. Because playing something which wasn't written for the base means you have to extend your technique and really think about how you're going to play it. Um, and playing unaccompanied bark, I, I think, has done wonders the bass world. When, when I first started playing the bass, um, a lot of the music I played were, were transcriptions. And, a, and I suddenly realised that we had transcriptions. We also had our own repertoire. But I, I felt as though we also needed our own repertoire, which is why I started commissioning. Because I thought then the, the combination of original repertoire and transcriptions, they each complement each other. Each one has something different to offer. Um, and I, I've loved transcribing music over the years. I, I started doing all the, the quartet arrangements just because when I started... Um, organizing workshops and the one thing I, I learned very quickly is you have all levels at every workshop you ever do and there are always the you know, base four currently playing first position so a lot of the the quartets I arrange now um base four on the whole stays in fourth, in first position uh, maybe going to second or third but stays down at the bottom end of the the register of the the base um and I, but I absolutely love transcriptions. I've loved teaching them. I've loved arranging them. I've loved publishing them. And I, I really do think the bass world is better because of them. I think so too. I remember as, as a youngster, I always thought all oh, the good music, you know, for a young bass player mm. was written for another instrument. And it, it made me excited that the transcriptions existed, made me a little sad that there wasn't a lot of music that I personally found exciting to play. But I think you're right. 
all this new music you've written, all of the, the George, we've talked about the series before, yeah. um, you know, the, the first position pieces, the danger zone pieces, all of these great music, really beautiful music that didn't exist when I was a kid. Um, so now I think we have a better balance of great transcriptions and music that was written for us. But I find that with my students, they really get a kick out of, you know, I'd, even something like the Rachmaninoff vocalese. Mm -hmm and they go on youtube or or spotify or wherever and they hear a different instrument playing it and they come back to their lessons very excited and saying oh i was playing along with this recording trying to phrase it the same way and you know i know some people don't love when students rely on recordings too much or if they play along with them but i think it's a very helpful tool and to be able to play alongside another instrument if you're lucky enough to have it in the right key mm -hmm. or my students at Berkeley all know how to transpose it in a recording and not mess with the tempo. It's amazing. Um, but I think it's great because we can strive to be better than double bass was 40 years ago. I think the first piece, the first transcription I ever played was the Eccles Sonata, really. Sure. Um, and what was yours? I had an album with like a collection, not a, not a recorded album of <laughs> it was called uh, Bach Pieces for the Young Double Bass Player. I and got a copy of that. Yes! yes! And that was the first transcription that I'm aware of that I uh, played. Although, um, around that same time, I had a little Beethoven sonatina that was actually a, a cello part. Um, yes. Like, you know, transcribed for cello, then transcribed again for a double bass. And I think a lot of what I played in the beginning was... Well, we had these books by um, Samuel Applebaum, mm -hmm. and he would have these little shortened versions of familiar tunes. And yes. it was cute because if you knew the folk song or the tune that it was, you, you were playing a melody you recognized, which was good for the student that, you know, could catch their mistakes that way. Um, mm -hmm. And now realizing in retrospect all of that was transcribed but mm -hmm. real feeling like i was playing my own solo that was the, from the collection of the the bach transcriptions i, I enjoy teaching i enjoy uh, teaching transcriptions and original repertoire yes. um, because each one offers something different to the student if, if it's one of my pieces it's written by a bass player so therefore it works all you have to do is work out the fingering how i intended you to play it if it's written by by Beethoven or Brahms or, or Schubert or whatever wasn't written for the bass so you have to be even more inventive with how you play with, with the fingerings and the bowings and I think this really opens up the possibilities for, for students to really think about what they're doing and how they're doing it and what they want to achieve and, and I just enjoy um, the variety of transcriptions nowadays and I, I love the fact that People are transcribing the Elgar Cello Concerto and the Vorjak Cello Concerto and the, is it the Butterfly Lovers Concerto? Yes. And all these things. Um, and it just shows how far the bass has come, that people ha now have the technique to be able to even tackle these things. Whether I want to listen to them in a concert, I don't know. Um, but the fact that it is now possible is, is absolutely amazing. And I think when students hear this, it shows them how far they can go if they choose to. Right. And I think 
um a lot of the i'm gonna say sort of smaller pieces you know not the not the big concertos mm. um there's such great tools for learning and like you said i like a balance mm. of this is a piece written for the double bass this is a transcription i like them equally and I particularly love original pieces for the double bass written by bass players, such as yourself. And I'll say to my students, David Hayes plays the double bass. Therefore, this works. We know that this can be done. Whereas sometimes you'll have a piece written by a non-double bass player and you think, ooh, they maybe didn't realize, you know, we're tuned in fourths or there was just a little misunderstanding about how far we can leap, how quickly. Um, and we have enough of those challenges in transcription pieces. But it's it's interesting because I think there are a lot of pieces that you can transcribe that have been transcribed that are really good learning tools. And then I have a, a former student who's now in college that just texted me and said, I want to learn a Rachmaninoff cello sonata. Is there a transcription available? And so I, I looked into it and I asked a couple of my friends who I know have performed it. And they all just use the cello part mm. and make modifications personal to them that they need to. So, you know, someday that will probably be published by someone too. But I love the concept that a 19 or 20 year old student isn't saying, oh, I love that piece. It was written for cello. What a bummer. Mm. I, I'll never be able to play it. That's yeah. no longer being seen as a limitation. I remember um, when I was had just gotten out of grad school, I heard the Rachmaninoff elegiac trio. And I thought, oh my God, it is so gorgeous. And so I took the cello part and I played the entire thing at pitch, never dropping anything down. And I thought, wow, that sounds heinous. And so I left it and I realized years later, I could make some octave displacements if I needed to and, and make some modifications so that it sounds beautiful on the bass. But that was, you know, it wasn't the, I wasn't taught to do that sort of thing. And, and I'm not a composer, so my brain doesn't naturally work that way. Um, but I see now even, you know, high school and college students thinking, I love to play. I love to listen to this piece. I want to learn how to play it. I don't care what it was written for. I want to do it. I had had one student at Wells. He's now studying at university, and, and he was great um, because he didn't want to play any bass repertoire. He only wanted to play transcriptions. And we did, I think, a movement from the Cesar Frank violin sonata, um, yes. which again was not written for bass, obviously. Um, right. which, so you really have to rethink uh, positions and where you're going to play and hand shapes and all these things and, and you have to think outside the box which is great and then he wanted to do the the schumann cello concerto so mm. i think we did part of that and then he wanted to do mendelssohn second cello sonata so we we did that and again i think there was a published version but he wanted to create his own edition so mm. so in the i always had two copies on my music stand i had the uh printed edition and then i had his version and we sure. talk a lot about where you would play that particular phrase and why you would play it there and why the shift would be between those two notes and not those two notes. Right. And I think this is really fantastic for students to really push them forward. So I, I always say about you're either a musician or you're a bass player. Right. A musician plays the music, a bass player plays the notes. There's, there's a difference. And, and it's so nice that so many bass players now want to become musicians. It has changed over the, the, the 40 years I've been uh, been teaching. 
And, and I, I do think transcriptions are really such an important part of our repertoire. I, I think it's yeah. it really has changed how we play the bass. Definitely. And and like you were saying, you know, on, on basically every other instrument, the notes are so much closer together. Mm. And so if you have a piece written for, let's just let's just say violin. We have to think about the fact that a whole step is is inches away for us and where to shift there's going to be a lot more shifting we have to do it in a smart way efficient as possible and you know do you cross strings or is that going to create a color change that's too drastic mm -hmm. do you have a big shift and just deal with it and if you choose to do the big shift and deal with it now your shifting on the instrument is going to get so much better i actually remember about five or six years ago I had a student who desperately wanted to play the main violin theme from Schindler's List mm. on double bass. And so I transcribed it for her, which took me forever only because I wrote it out by hand and wow, I am slow. So I tried doing it in, in a program and I was like, oh God, I'm really bad at that. And it was messing up the rhythm and everything. So I just did it by hand. Um, I probably could have just given her the violin part and then we talked mm. about up an octave, down octave yeah. type things. but. Yeah she didn't love visualizing music that way. So I wrote it out for her. And that spring, <clears throat> I was playing with the Boston Pops and John Williams was in town conducting us. And so I, I spoke with him for a minute. And I said, you know, I have this beautiful transcription that I've written out of Schindler's List. And I wanted to talk to you. I'd love for mm -hmm. you to hear it sometime. Yes. I wanted to talk to you. I think it sounds so beautiful i didn't say much more beautiful although i do think it sounds more beautiful on the double bass than it does on the violin because it's just so soulful mm. um i said to him i was i was curious if you would ever allow me to perform it in a recital yes. um i don't if you want to publish it do it yourself absolutely cool but can i have your permission to perform it on double bass and it was very interesting he said to me oh well you'd have to speak with my publisher about that and I thought, hmm, I know where this is headed. And so I said, okay. So I, his publisher was actually there. Mm. So I spoke with him. His name was Paul. And I said, you know, it, it just sounds beautiful. I, I could play 30 seconds of it for you just so you can hear how gorgeous the double bass is. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. John is very specific about which instruments can play his pieces. He will allow a cello to play <laughs> Shinnu's list. He, yes. he will allow a violin, he said, but no other instruments are allowed to. In fact, you're not allowed to perform it even in a private recital where no one's paying to hear it. Mm. You're not allowed. And I thought, well, that's just kind of mean. <laughs> and it broke my heart because mm -hmm. I thought it sounded beautiful. And then like a year later, there was an, a bass player who put a transcription that he performed of that piece on YouTube. And I thought, oh God, I hope John doesn't see this because I think he's going to get in trouble. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's one of the challenges is if you transcribe a piece written by a living composer, mm. getting permission and making sure it's it's okay with them. So I'm all for transcribing music by dead composers. <laughs> it, it does solve many problems. Um, yeah. Because if you ask a composer, they have the ability to say no. Right. And some really will say no just to say no. It's not all yeah. composers are are lovely to, to deal with. And it, it's interesting you're saying that the Schindler's List you thought had a real soul about it. Yeah. I think that about uh, Colnidre by Brooke. 
Oh, yes. Which I think is a, a magnificent piece on cello, but on bass. Oh, I, I think it's better. That's, well, I wasn't going to say better, but now you've said it. <laughs> I agree with you. Um, I, I think it does. I, I had a recording of Gary Carr. I, I bought an, an LP. I must have had it one, maybe 30 years, 35 years. Mm. Um, and it's still glorious music on the bass. I absolutely love it. And also the uh, uh, block prayer. Again, yes. that's another one. Um, I, I, I transcribed it into D minor for us. I had some students who needed something a little bit lower. They couldn't quite manage the F minor. Mm -hmm. I did it into D minor. And they absolutely loved it, and it's and it, because it's great music. And again, I I think the bass adds something that the cello doesn't have. I think the cello maybe adds something the bass doesn't have, but yes. it's absolutely amazing. And uh, col um, no, what's the other one? Vocalese. Um, yes. Again, is is one of the the greatest pieces I think, um, and to hear it on bass is is absolutely glorious. And it, mm. certain pieces I I think really do sound fantastic on bass. Um, maybe even better than the original. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's, it's difficult to say, isn't it? Because you you can't make um, blanket statements. Um, but it, but, it, but. It, <laughs> but yeah, you're then right. Yeah, we can. Yeah, I I think that Col Nidre does sound better on the the bass. I think so. so. I had I had a student last year come to me. He was a, a grad student, but he didn't have a ton of classical experience. Mm. Um, and he said to me that he wanted to play Col Nidre at the the high holidays that year you know yom kippur and mm. he he said his he really wanted to learn it for his grandmother and so you know we worked on it and it was hard for him but he did it and he said he played it in his synagogue and his his grandmother heard it and he said everyone that heard it said wow the double bass is so rich and beautiful and mm. so perfect for this piece and um the rabbi said to him, I'd like you to come back next year and do it. I'm not hiring a cello anymore. I want this on double bass. Wow, isn't that nice? Yeah, and I said to him, wow. that is the achievement right there. Yes, you know, and exactly. he was, you know, he was like, oh, I didn't play this perfectly or this was really hard. And I said, that's okay. You'll keep working on it. You'll keep getting it better. And, you know, cut yourself a little bit of slack or, or now we say, give yourself some grace. Right. It, might not have been perfect. You just learned it quickly. It's, a, mm. you know, it's challenging for someone who hasn't been playing in that region mm. of the bass that much. But that the rabbi loved it so much that he wanted that to have nice? the student back. That is how you know you've done a good job. Well, with recital music, I always was interested in the original repertoire. That was always very important to me. Yes. That I published a lot of music, certainly by a contemporary composer, by friends which I've always enjoyed. But I also wanted the transcriptions as well. And I always tried to keep a balance of about 70% original works to 30% transcriptions. Yeah. And I thought that that was a nice balance. I, I've really enjoyed creating the, the, the two, two different aspects of, of recital music. One is the original repertoire and one is the transcriptions. And each, again, complements the other, I think. I think it makes a nice yeah. balanced catalogue. And it's, yes. it's then it's then trying to persuade people to move away from transcriptions to play original repertoire that's another challenge but at least if the original repertoire is there it's possible and that that i've enjoyed but the transcriptions have been a really important part of my my professional career um, yeah. as a player and a teacher and as a publisher and i don't think it will change i'm always looking at pieces always thinking 
will that work on bases? Can I transcribe that for bases? This, I think yesterday was the 400th birthday of William Byrd, the, the great oh, yes. uh, composer from uh, Elizabeth the first time. And I'm, I'm, I'm putting a book together called Bird for Bases, which is, I think, five bass quartets. Oh, and the, the early madrigals and, and, and I think some of the galliards and things, they transcribe so well for bases. And it, again, it just gives us new repertoire. Um, and I'm sure William Byrd wouldn't mind. I'm, I'm sure it'd be astounded that 400 years later, his music is still so popular. Isn't that fantastic? Definitely. Definitely. Well, and I know you have several collections I, I think it um, Jason Heath's Double Bass Headquarters website of yeah. collections of transcriptions, and I of course have them, <laughs> and <laughs> I I love to use them with my students. And I love you know having them learn a new piece by a composer that they've never played. You know, a student might have played the elephant, but I say, well now what about the swan? And you have exactly. a great transcription of that, um, which is really great. And it's funny because. I sit here as we're talking, I start, I'm starting to think, I do transcribe more than I realize. Um, yes. When I play recitals with my dad, we always do a couple of, you know, French art songs or something like that, which obviously were not written for double bass. And he tends to play guitar or electric bass with me. And so mm. he'll be transcribing a piano accompaniment for that um, or things like Nessendorma. And of course, we do have to throw in some pop tunes every now and then with, mm. you know, bands that I like. And, and then, you know, I always had this dream of becoming part of the Norwegian pop band AHA, which I knew would never happen. But being able to play their songs, they always lie well on the bass. Mm. And, you know, I'll hear a tune. It's very rare. You know, I never wanted to be what we call here elevator music or doctor's office music. Yes. Muzak, I think, is the official term for it. Yeah. And so I'll, I want to be really careful when I'm transcribing a pop tune to not have it sound like Muzak, but yes. I am being self-indulgent learning these songs, literally songs, by a silly little band that I love. <laughs> when I first started doing Bass Fest, I think the first one was, I think, 1997, 1998, something like that. And I got Tony Osborne to write a piece for 12 basses which I, yes. I've just, just published. It's, it's only taken 30 years. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm finally there. And I think the, the very first bass fest I did, there was a teacher's concert because we had, I think, about 8, 10, 12 teachers throughout the week. And I arranged a Hallelujah Chorus for bass octet. Oh, nice. And we did that, um, I think, every bass fest for years and years and years. And all the teachers would say, can we do it again next year? Can we do it again next year? And oh. it, it hadn't been in print for a long time. And just as we're talking, I'm just thinking, all oh, right, maybe that one's pushing forward now. That one needs to be be done. Yeah. Oh, but I think mean, it, it, it was a, a, a very old, because it's 1997, 1998. So I mean, I'm, I think I need to go and look at it again and see if it's right, or maybe I need to, to redo it. But it, it was in D major, so I know it worked well. Oh, and. And it was nice because we had two quartets. So the one quartet was the singers, one quartet was the orchestra. But then occasionally you'd all have to play and play little bits from everything. The difficulty was the da-da-da-da-da and the trumpet. That mm -hmm. was to get that. We couldn't really get that high. If it's, if it's high harmonics, um, right. it's not really loud enough. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to put that down an octave. But it seemed to work. It, it seemed to, uh, seemed to, to right. hit the mark, really. 
I think you know you've done it right when you're getting requests for repeat performances of it. Yes. And the other one I, I really enjoyed doing was um, the Can Can by Offenbach. Oh, yes. And that one, that took me about 10 attempts before I, I felt it was right. And I, I used to do, we used to do bass workshops. So I, I, I'd write it out and try it. And suddenly the accompaniment was louder than the melody. There's too much accompaniment. Mm -hmm. um, and it took me a long time to, to work it out. But once I eventually got there, then I, I think it's actually not a bad arrangement at all. It's, it's you know, I, 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 I think I did a, a bass day at the Royal Wells College some years ago, and they, they'd learned this quartet. So I had to coach them. And they gave me the score. And as I was reading the score, because I'd forgotten it, and I was, I was thinking, wow, this is... This is not so bad. I've I've done worse than this, I'll tell you. And, uh, and it, I just like the the way it just dovetailed so smoothly from melody to accompaniment from one player to the next. I thought, well, this is okay, actually. This is That's this nice. is okay. And then we've done it with mass bases and and things like that. Yeah. Um, and audiences love it, obviously, because they know the melody. Right. And yeah. I think that's one thing when you're planning, you know, any sort of a performance. If you do have a tr transcription or two. If it's something that the audience may have already encountered, there's something familiar to them. They relax mm -hmm. and they really enjoy it. And then I feel like I can throw new music at them. I can throw pieces they've never heard, but they're comfortable because they've heard something familiar. Um, but I think one of the challenges with transcribing is voicing, you know, the partially for the level of the player, mm -hmm. whether it's a student or, or someone super advanced, you've got to be careful to make sure you know the the bottom register can sound a little bit i don't know muddy maybe mm -hmm. um but the the higher parts of thumb position in the wrong hands can sound what i call it's the howling dog region um and you just want to make sure that that you have the voicing so that it although will make your audience feel happy because it's something they recognize. Mm. You also don't want them to ever cringe because it sounds, you know, too woofy or too howly. Hm. All dog references. <laughs> That's always something I've, I've taught my students because often the solo part is in the middle of the accompaniment because we, we play quite low down. Um, and so you have to have a, a solo sound which sits on the, I always call it a cushion of sound. You always have to make sure you sit on the cushion and not fall into the cushion. Right. If you fall into the cushion, the piano wins every time because right. it's loud. Right. If you mm -hmm. sit on the, on the cushion, then the two of you are working together. It's, it's interesting. Yes. And they, they suddenly have to listen with different ears. Yes. Um, the transcriptions, is, is that's always a problem with octaves and things like that. But personally, it, it doesn't bother me. I, I can live yeah. with that. It's, yeah. Considering yeah. what's going wrong with the world, it's changing <laughs> octave. In a, in a piece this is neither here nor there really yes <laughs> i think you're right perspective is a good thing exactly and, you know with a student for me if i have if they're having you know that that really muddy gross dying mm. moose sound at the bottom it's an opportunity to get that to sound cleaner and brighter mm. and if they're sounding like they're strained up in the higher register it's a chance for them to open up their sound let's work on bow location and bow speed and arm weight and things like that to get that the tone mm -hmm. going and it's kind of incentive for them and when i'm playing it's funny i always had this hang up like an emotional hang up of when i was in thumb position i didn't want it to sound gross <laughs> and i'm sure it's because in the beginning it did sound gross mm -hmm. um so i'll still try to be very 
thoughtful to what is my tone sounding like all mm. through the whole region of the instrument. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think that's a bad thing for any of us to think about. <laughs> no, and the one thing we have as bass players is we we do have a, a lot of repertoire, a vast repertoire, so original yes. repertoire, mm -hmm. but not compared to the cello or violin. Right. So we might have, I don't know, 10,000 original pieces where they've got 100,000 original pieces. So, yeah. but we need transcriptions to balance this out. And yes. I, I think it really works. And I, I think we're at a place now where it is pretty, pretty good because we also got great composers writing now original repertoire as well as transcriptions. And I, I think we it's taken a long time to get here, but I think we're, we're in a really fantastic place where everybody can play now what they like. And it yes. works really well. But I like the fact that we have our own original repertoire as well. I think that's, I've, I've enjoyed being part of that. I've enjoyed commissioning a lot of repertoire. Yeah. I like, wonder. I balance out. I sometimes wonder if Gary Carr's transcriptions, so much that he transcribed in his career. Mm. I, I wonder how much of that, I think it influenced us greatly, even, even more than we realize forced us all to have better technique. It forced us all to be better bass players. And then it forced others to want to mm -hmm. write for us or mm -hmm. enticed them. And it made us realize, hey, if I can transcribe, I can write. Okay, maybe not me personally, but I think it inspired other people to say, we can have more great music that's written originally mm -hmm. for this wonderful instrument. And I, I feel like maybe Gary was pivotal for the whole thing, not just people accepting mm -hmm. and performing transcriptions, but also inspiring people to write more music for us. I, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's both. When he used to come to London, I used to see all the transcriptions he used to play. And I go to libraries and get copies of them and, mm -hmm. and really do my own editions and things like that. But also yeah. Gary used to, I think he was on the road eight months of the year. And you can't play bass music for eight months of the year and stay sane right and so he needed to transcribe and I, th I think that kept him sane the fact that he was always looking for for new repertoire as well as commissioning original repertoire so again it's I, I think he, he yeah Gary did a fantastic job in inspiring all of us I always came away from every recital thinking wow I'm going to go play even better now and I'd pick up the bass and I'd play with such uh, such confidence and assurance um, mm -hmm. Yeah, he really had that effect on me and still does. I hear him play. I, wow. Yeah, I'm going to pick up my bass and practice even harder now. I remember hearing Una Furtiva Lagrima. Um, I think it was Pavarotti singing it. And I looked at my mom. I was a little kid and I said to her, that would sound great on the bass. And I ran into my room and I started sort of like picking it out on the bass and all that. And then I realized Gary had already recorded it. But I thought, yeah. If I hear an aria or any sort of piece and I like it and I want to try it, there's no reason not to. And I think that sort of, you know, kind of sums up the idea of no limits. There's great original well, music. Botticini arranged that one. That was in, uh, I think, in his method. And Nesson Dorma is one I arranged for eight basses, which, again, I did that for Bass Fest. I absolutely I love, love that. It. Yeah. That's one of my favorite all-time arias, too. Mm. Well, I think... Transcriptions and original music, it's really great. I think we're luckier than many instruments because I think we have a better balance. Um, I agree, I agree. And I think that's that's very exciting. 
Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you, David. I think this was a, a great talk. And thank you, everybody, for listening to Base Talk with Hagen and Hayes. Go to our YouTube channel, go to our website, like and subscribe. And thank you so much to our sponsors. And we look forward to talking to you again. Take Bye. care.